Morning. So where we where we were last week, just to review just for a minute, is we started on this topic of the ancient penalties, not to rely on miracles. And we discussed the Gemara and Brachas, the Gemara told us that, that there were four things that required chizuk. One was Terah, one was Maisim Tevim, one was Tefillim, one was Derech We said on that very Gemara, later on, on that very page, the Gemara said, welcome back, the Gemara said that, that the Hasidim Arishayim, like the real Hasidim, who would spend all day learning, I'm sorry, all day davening. Uh, they would literally daven nine hours a day because you need an hour to get yourself revved up, an hour to daven, then an hour to bring yourself back down to normalcy. And you have three tefillas a day. So the more asks about them, how is it possible that they learned? What about their Torah? What about their work? And the more said, well, they, because they were chassidim, chassidim because they were chassidim, their Torah was, you know, the little bit that they learned, it was able to stay with them. They never forgot. They had a siyat v'shmaya. And the work, whatever little work they did, got a bracha on it and was able to be uh, enough to sustain themselves. That is to say that people who took a path that doesn't seem would be advocated by Rav Shem right? The question as we discussed was whether Rav Shem would even allow, would countenance Stopping learning for davening, or was it just Kriyashma? Was a big debate. The Here is people; they didn't even learn a lot. They were davening all day, and we talked about Tfila as being what? Remember the Gemara and Shabbos in the beginning? So Rav got angry with Nuna because he was davening too much, and he said, "Then you're taking the Chaye Oylam and you're giving it away for the Chaye Shah. Because Tfila is for asking for Hashem to think. I'm not sure this Gemara actually thinks that that is the same idea of Tfila. I, I have a different opinion on it, but I don't want to get into that right now. All I want to show right now is that there is a, there was a notion that we were discussing where, on the one hand, we think that what needs chizik is derecharet. On the other hand, there are people who don't learn much, don't work much, and they just simply daven, and there's a place for them too, which is a different entirely opinion than the one that we were seeing from Rashbi and Rabbi Shmuel. Good? Okay, so we then discussed we then discussed a um, we then discussed a Gemara in Psachim. The Gemara had discussed about different kitas that would come into the Azara in order to shaft on our Pesach. And we learned that you had to have a certain amount of people in each kat from Psukim. So you had to have 90 people and it had to be three kitas. So Zemachalik is and Rava as to do you count? Like in others, like it's like, you know, in certain, you know, the synagogues before the high holy days in the olden days, I don't think anybody like that today, but in the olden days, you had to have a ticket. And there was people collecting tickets before you walked, you couldn't come to a shore shine kip without a ticket. You had to give you a ticket in order to get, get, get entrance. So after 30 people came in, they would lock the doors. Is that how it went? The Machalikas and the Gemara, one man the Amar. Um, the Gemara says, Ninalu. And Rava says, Nailin. Bias says, don't worry about these kind of things. You know, the doors will close because what happens if they don't have enough people? The doors will close of themselves. And Rava's like, no, no, you shut them. You count, you got enough people, shut the doors. Don't let anybody else in until the next card's ready to come. So Bias says, Ninalu, why? Because 
the um, we can rely on an ace. And Rabbi says, no, no Yalin, we don't rely on Nisa. We said this is interesting because Abayin Rav were both ones were brought down in Brachas as taking on, and after we're discussing the opinion of Rav Shemar Echai and Rav Shemal, Abayin Rav each right, understood it to be that Rav Shemal is normative, not Rav Shemar Echai, right? Because if you recall, Abayin said that Harba also and Rav said, the students, please don't come to me during the harvest and the planting season. Stay out and work, because otherwise you're going to be tired of parnasasam the whole time. And yet, over here, we see that Abaya seems to be, at least in the case, in a limited maybe case of the Maram Sachem, Semchen Al Nisa. Rava is not. Okay. Um, and when we said the uh, the Gemara, we discussed the Gemara in Avodah the Gemara about Reb Chanani ben Trajan, if you recall, he was um, burned alive because of his teaching Torah. But if you recall, what had happened was is that he went to visit Rabbi Yisim and Kism. Rabbi Yisim and Kism was old and he was ill and he was, you know, at, at, and he said to him, what are you doing? I hear you're teaching Torah. So he said, he said back to him, Reb Chanani ben Trajan said back to him, he said, look, um, they're going to have mercy on me in heaven. So Rabbi Yisman Kisman says back, I'm telling you things that are substantive. And you're telling me that you don't have to worry about teaching Torah publicly because heaven will have mercy on you. Look at the Romans. Hashem has given them the strength to be able to conquer the temple, to destroy Yerushalayim. You, 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 they have a gazer. You have to listen to the gazer. You want to teach Torah, fine, but do it in a way that's going to be hidden. Don't do it in the middle of public. And, 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 so... What we see over there is that Rabbi Yisrael was not convinced by Menashe Mamirachim. He responds back to the Chanim and he says, Tama ani im yisrufu for Torah I have a big uh, certainty that you're going to have a very bad end. You and your Torah are going to be burned. It's an unbelievable line. But what it's saying, and of course that is what happened, it almost sounds like what the Gemara is trying to do is tell you that you don't do the approach of Chinnam and Tron. Yes, it was ama- he's amazing. And yes, he goes into heaven and the cross the way the execution and also decides to, you know, go and jump into the fire. They all go, fine. No, no one's saying that holy people. But is that the right approach? Minashimaimirachim, just rely on heaven? Sounds like from the Gemara, the Gemara saying, Rizman Kisma is telling you the normative approach. The normative approach is you don't say, I'm going to go violate, you know, uh, the Roman dictum, the, the dictates of the, of the government. And expect that everything's going to be beautiful because Kaddish Baruch will protect. And Kaddish Baruch will protect those that help themselves. You have to be sensible about what you do. So we ended up discussing Yerushalmi on this point. Yerushalmi says the the, the halacha was that a person, um, the kohen who was the kohen gadol uh, on Erev Yom Kippur, he was allowed to eat whatever he wanted the week before. But every Kippur, they wouldn't let him eat certain foods and they wouldn't even eat a lot because they didn't want him to sleep. Why didn't they want him to sleep? Because they wanted him to stay up so they shouldn't have a mission because if he did, then he'd be not able to do that by the next day. So they kept him awake. That was like the first time you had to stay awake all night, right? Not sure was. It was Yom Kippur night for the Kayin Gadol. And what did we say about the Kayin Gadol? That was one of the Nisim, the Gemara Numas tells us, it was one of the 10 Nisim that never happened in the Kayin Gadol had a mission by Yom Kippur. So 
So the Gemara asks, and the Yerushalmi Gemara asks, I don't understand. Wasn't this Minah Nisim Shoyin Nasim Mikdash? Wasn't one of the Nisim? So if it's one of the Nisim, then why are they preventing the Kayan God from sleeping? Right? And the Gemara told us that there was all kinds of things that they used to do, right? They used to snap the fingers and they would make him read. And if he was a Tamakhach, he could darshan. Everything they would try to do to keep that Kayan God away. Why are you trying so hard? It's one of the 10 Nisim the Gemara tells us that it happened to Mesa Mikdash, that the Kayan God never had a, had a problem like this. So if you never had a problem, this is why you're working so hard. Answers the Gemara, two answers. One is maybe the difference between the first bias and the second bias. Maybe in the first bias, they had all the Nisim. Maybe the second bias didn't have Nisim like this. In other words, the Gemara is very clear that the, the Nisim and the first bias weren't in the second bias. For example, the Arun, then the fire, right? And the uh, the Kruvim, Urim, all those things, that was not in the second bias. So maybe this Nase also, the Kayan Gadol, even though it's not miraculous inherently, what's the, uh, it doesn't, if you, if you look, if you if you would quantify the Nisim in terms of like, you know, what is the major Nase? Like, okay, major Nase is the fire coming down from Shemayim all the time. All right. Major Nase is that the Kruvim somehow move around when, you know, these inanimate objects, they move around at certain times of the of, 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 of the year when the Jewish people are, are good about it. Like, those are like, wow, kind of Nisim, right? Those are totally against nature. But the idea that the Kayan God goes to sleep and wakes up and there's no issues, like, that's such a big Nase. I mean, like, and, and the level of things, you might have thought that in the second bias, that nays would be also. Says the Gemara, no. Maybe in the second bias, that didn't exist. The same way the other nays went away, that nays also went away. So they have to keep them away. That's one possible answer. Says the Gemara, second answer, no, maybe that nays was also in the second bias. But, says the Gemara, Rav Oven says, which means we don't test the Kaddish Baruch We're going to have to do that a little bit more in depth next week. You don't test Hashem. You don't say, okay, I'm going to walk in front of the traffic. You know, Queens Boulevard, I think, is one of the most, you know, dangerous places in, in, in New York City, right? It's a hot, like 20 lanes, and you never know what's going on. Uh, I close my eyes. I walk. No. You don't test Hashem and say, okay, look, I'm going to do something really stupid. I'm going to jump, you know, jump out of a building because I know whatever Hashem watches me. No. So the Gemara says, Hashem, you don't test Hashem. That is to say, you have a duty to do your best to ensure that the results happen in a normative manner, which means you try to make that kind of God stay up. Yes, it would need him. Yes, it would. It was there. Doesn't make a difference. You don't rely on a mirror. And we had we concluded last week with 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 a medrash, which the Archaim takes one way, I take a different way, and I found the raya. I'm so excited. I found the riot this morning. I, I, I've said this over Bart all these years. I said over last week, you didn't hear me quote anybody. This morning, I saw what Ksav Sefer says. It's the overlander to us, like a double whammy. So I'm very excited about it. I'm going to share with you. So what was the Medrash? The Medrash said like this. The Medrash said that, that this is the Medrash Necharabah, the Medrash said four different kings of Israel, right? One was of Yehuda. Technically, uh, the, the, the first one was only the king of Israel. It was David Amalek. Asa Yoshaf and And when they when they did uh, different things, they, they had a different levels of Ishtala. So the Medr said, if you recall, the Medr says that what? David Amalek would say, I'm gonna go fight my enemies, I'm gonna attack them, I'm gonna beat them, and I'm gonna win. I'm gonna say thank you, And Asa says, Look, I'm not so good at fighting the enemies. I'm gonna chase them. Hashem, you beat them, and I'm gonna say thank you. And Yoshaf says, Look, I got his brother. Fighting is not for me. Chasing is not for me. I got a daven. You take care of my enemies. And then you have Cheskyo Amela who says, 
that HaKadosh Baruch I can fight, I can chase, I'm not even going to die. I'm going to sleep. And you take care of my enemies. Hashem says, no problem. Who is the highest level in this medish? Who is the medish most impressed with? What is the level of Ashtalis that we are waxing on poetic about here? Which one? Says the Arachayim HaKadosh, it's Chizkiyo HaMelech. Chizkiyo HaMelech is the greatest level of Ishtadlis. Said the said the Arachayim, the Chaluka HaMeula Shebekulon Humash Yeshoah Chizkiyo Shomar Ani Ein Bikpeach Lelarag Lelidav Lelespala Elani Yoshen Al Mitosi Vato Oisev Iyah Madrego Shomar Meishu Rabbeinu Vatem Tacharish he said, but he wants to he wants to tighten on to the to the pasuk in, in two weeks ago. Said Peshala, Hashem Milochim Lochem, Hashem is going to fight for you. The Jewish people are very scared. The Egyptians are on one side of the water and they're terrified. What's going to happen? So they're all crutching. So Hashem says, Moshe Rabbeinu says to the people, God is fighting for you. You be silent. You're doing nothing. So what's the highest level? You're mute. You do nothing because Bochu does everything for you. That's the Arachim. And I told you clearly that it's that this medrash, if you read it, and you should read it inside, you'll see what I mean. It doesn't tell you clearly which one is the greatest level and which one's not. It's definitely leaving it a little bit open. And 100% is doing that deliberately. But it seems to me that number one, it's David Amalek. Like, who's going to beat David Amalek? No one. <clears throat> number two, the way the medrash has a feel just seems like common sense is that David Amalek is the biggest challenge. Because what's the biggest challenge in life? Sitting mute at home, having all the things happen for you. And what, you're not going to thank Hashem? Is there any test that you may be going to take any credit for yourself? You're going to be giving yourself a big pat on the back. You're amazing. You did nothing. You were sleeping. But if you went out and you were working hard and you were doing such big work in Yigiyah, and your mom is like, you know, big success. You come home. Ah, I did a good job. That's where you have a test. That's where you might start thinking like, oh, yeah, I'm a player. No, it's all I call it sparkle. But that's where you're going to have the real challenge. You're going to have the real challenge when you went out and did all the work and you did all the hours and you put in all the effort and all the sweat and you had all the nerves. That was what I said that to me. I, I don't read this message with our kindness. But before we get to the, before we get to the, uh, the various things, there were two takeaways that, that I wanted to do from last week in addition to that. Number one, when I was a kid, I was like obsessed with reading. I, I'm less obsessed these days, but I would read like whatever I can get my hands to read. And, and those is one so many Jewish things to read. So I read everything that was like not Jewish that I could find too. Um, but now this is like so many Jewish articles and magazines and things. So I've tried to avoid it. I never really had these in my house because I knew I would just read the whole thing. And I, I wouldn't get up until I read every single thing. It's just, a, you know, I'm not saying it's a time waster. I'm just saying for me, it just felt like there were better ways I could occupy myself. So I literally never had these things in my house. My kids are now older. And, you know, I, I, if the option is hard to read something that's of Jewish orientation or to read something that's totally a waste of time, I feel it's better to have this. So, okay. So I, I, now we buy these uh, magazines. And um, I have to, I, I, I thank God, a little bit more mature that I don't like automatically run to read it. But sometimes I nevertheless happen to open it. And I was trying to figure out why last week I literally happened to open it. I didn't get past this. Thank God I was able to close it. But I literally opened up something called Ami Letters. And I was reading through the letters. 
And wouldn't you know, it had much to do with our topic. This was great. This, so I asked, I, I spoke about it with my family and we basically explained to them the situation. It was, was a, a, the, it wasn't so much more than what the letter says, but basically there was a family and there was a, you know, you know, we already see this by, by, um, by Lavan, right? You remember the Pasuk, uh, Yaakov Avinu, he wants to marry Rachel. But in Lavan, he gives him Leah. So he says, what are you doing to me? I, I, I didn't work for this one. I worked for that one. What did you do? So what does Lavan respond? It's not the mountains, we do it differently. You have to marry the older one first. So this family, this father was like this. Very, very, you know, serious situation in certain families. He would not let a younger child go out before the older one got married. And basically, this, this child was mom is just sitting, like, you know, waiting and waiting for years. And so the story, so I'll read you from this, uh, from this story, the story, wait your turn, bothered me. Oh, and it ends up that, sorry, the, I have to give you that. I don't know if, no, if these are novels, fables, or, you know, I don't know. But, but the way the story ends is that, of course, when the old one gets married, like immediately the next one who's like, you know, now almost 30 years old, finds a shift very quick with the same situation with the others, with the, with the spouse, also not being allowed to get married until another older sibling got, got married first. Right. This is the letter from FK. The story, wait your turn, bothered because it seems, oh, forgetting another detail. The mother was very against this. The mother wanted her kid to get married. She saw the, 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 the younger child just sitting there waiting and like it bothered her. And the father was one who was very strong about it. The story, wait your turn, bothered me because it seems the mother is looking at the situation completely the wrong way. She feels that it is all her husband's fault that their daughter got married at a later age because he made her way to start Shaduchim until after her brother was engaged. Really, we have to look at this story from a Torah perspective. The girl and her brashir were supposed to marry at a certain time. They could have experienced the Agmas Nefesh of going out for years and not finding each other. Instead, soon after her brother got engaged, the daughter did too. And to a boy who was also waiting for an older sibling and wasn't either supposed to experience the emotional turmoil of years of dating. Instead of being upset with her husband, she and her daughter should be thanked. Obviously, Hashem wanted the father to, father to be stubborn in order to save the couple from additional distress. When we look at Shaduchim from the proper perspective, we realize that Hashem is totally running the show. Our job is to daven and to do minimal hashtadlas, and of course, to be in close contact with our Das Torah for any questions that come up. I think I don't have to explain the relevance of this letter, but it blew me away that the, the, the woman who wrote this letter, or man, I have no idea, feels that the father was totally within his rights to make sure that his daughter didn't even go out on a date so she was almost 30 years old. Because you have to wait for the brother. I mean, not only that, this woman believes so strongly that there's a bashert and that there was nobody else that she could have possibly married and that she would have been going out with tons of people and would have never worked or if she would have married somebody, would have been the wrong person, would have been the boy, would have been a terrible situation. Like, Amazing. An amazing letter. <laughs> I, I can't, I, I stopped after this one, but um, instead of being upset with her husband, she should be thanking him. Obviously, Hashem wanted the father to be stubborn. And then, the, to me, the, 
the ultimate is when we look at the shtuchim from the proper perspective, we realize that Hashem is totally running the show. Our job is to do hishtaven and to do minimal hishtaven. This to me is the is the is the regnant veltan shal. This is the this is the ethos that people really fundamentally believe. So that's one thing I wanted to share from last week. We'll talk a little bit more about it today because I have a staff server that I wanted to catch up on. But also, I don't know how we got into all this last week. I don't remember anymore. I apologize, but I do remember one thing that I did say. We ended up somehow talking about Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Nachman, tried to shiva Mishimalikimim, and somehow we got into the whole thing about the Rambam and perhaps about. I, I don't remember any of it, any any idea of why we went there. If anybody does, please edify. But I know I said that I'm sure in the Chuvis that he has a safe called Malumde Muhammad, the Chuvis that soldiers asked him. Okay, you know what? What would I do without you? I don't know how you remember. Yeah. This is um. Yeah, you're saying before that he's dying with the Timur and the daughter finds that the inhale smoke, and it goes faster. And the Mariana, yeah, the old Shiloh, you do that. Uh, there's miserable here about the Israeli soldiers discuss that whether they can do it. Jump on the grenade. Possibly, there's more. There are other trades with the dew, and we have an answer that wasn't in. Right. Instead of more, it was you know a much more substantial question. Right. You and I discussed. Right. So just for the people that weren't here, the the the, the Gemara there in Avodah says that the that the daughter says to Kenan tribe and open your mouth and let the Shalhavas let the fire come into your mouth. Like you'll you'll burn faster, you'll die faster. He says, no, no, make myself die even a second sooner. It's like suicide can't do such a thing. So we end up going on this on the sidebar tangent about whether or not that is in fact the case. We talked about Right now, I remember. So we talked about the uh, the Daskin and the Tosis. She should be in the Tom, like because during the Second Crusade, in the first Second Crusade, they they, they mamish went out and killed, you know, Kahina Vakaina Jewish people, Akedish Hashem. But not, the, that wasn't the only tragedy. We talk about it in the we talk about it in the um, you know in the Kinnis on on Tishba. We talk about that the, that parents slaughtered their kids. Right in advance of the of the of the raging and the, the pillaging from these. Uh, Christians, the parents, you know, the rabbis that would take care of the community. And so that they wouldn't come into such a situation where they either be forced to convert or they'll be killed, they would kill themselves. We talk about whether that was okay. Rabbi Thomas is very clear that that is okay. And we have asking about this, and so it was absolutely not okay. And so the question came up well, what happens in the Israeli army? Because that's something we literally have this kind of situation where you have um, somebody's going to get caught, maybe they'll be tortured. Uh, in a way that, uh, you know, would give up information because all the Jewish lives to be lost. Maybe somebody has like secret information. Now he's going to be caught by uh, the Syrians or the Egyptians, right? So should he like uh, shoot himself first and not to give up that kind of a thing? So somehow we got into talking about this um, this rabbi of Nachmanovich uh, who passed away, Nachmanovich um, passed away now maybe a year or two ago. Um, and I said that I'm sure there'll be something here that relevant to this topic, and in fact, there was. So he talks here about whether or not this has become a classic question whether or not it's a mitzvah for people in Israel to go to the army. Is it a Mohammed's mitzvah or not? So, obviously, the classic understanding of Mohammed's mitzvah, which is when the grammar company kill you, that's a Mohammed's mitzvah. Mohammed's Rashus, the classic understanding is. That you want to go and 
um, expand the territories of Israel. You want to go out and, and uh, you know, have a bigger border. Okay, so that's a mechamish, it's not a mitzvah. You want to do it because you want a bigger economy. You want to that good fields or whatever. You want the gold and silver in a certain that's mechamish for sure. You're not forced to do it. Mechamish mitzvahs, it's a defensive war. They're coming after you. So I think no one would really ever question the, the fundamental idea that the wars that Israel has faced are mechamish mitzvah, not mechamish for sure. They haven't been expansionary wars. They haven't been wars of, of attempting to uh, increase the wealth and the breadth of, of the land of Israel, so much as they have been an attempt to protect oneself against the marauding uh, nations that don't accept the existence within those borders. So, so uh, we're talking here in this tshuva, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar is discussing whether or not it's incumbent upon a Tamil to go fight. And obviously this is very relevant in modern day Israel because of the fact that there are those who take it, many who take the opinion that it's absolutely unnecessary for people who are learning to go out and fight. This is what he discusses here. He says, Don't ask on the Rambam, says, Don't ask on the Rambam, the Rambam, that it's a mitzvah and everybody to go fight by a Muhammad's mitzvah. And you're going to ask because the Gemara says, that the rabbis don't need watching. Rabbis don't need anybody to help them out. And people use this Gemara as a Gemara to say that since the Rabbanan don't need watching, so therefore they don't need any help, they don't need any protection, they don't need, they don't need to go battle, they don't need any, anybody to protect them. There's no need for an army for them. Who do you need the army for? To protect the people that could get hurt. Who are the people that can get hurt? People that aren't learning. But you don't need to have... Um, Say it in the way I once heard, most in the most blunt way, which is you don't need an iron dome, you know, defensive system around B'nai Brach. Everybody's dedicated to Torah, so why do you need an iron dome? Iron dome is a pal of it, right? That's how you take it all the way to that extent. So he says that look, at the end of the day, the Rambam Paskin certainly all the things that you raise taxes in order to make a city work. You take it for everybody in the city. Why? Which is what the Gemara says in Barabbasra. You can take taxes from people to do roads, to do you know, a sidewalk, lights, you know, to make things safe. But you don't have to do it. You don't take taxes from the Rabbanon. Why? Because Rabbanon is the Torah is and the Torah is their own Shmira. So, that is in relation to the specific case of the taxes, but you can understand that writ large, taken in relation to going to fight in the army, taken in relation to many other things. Yes, says says the uh, the Rabbi Rabinovich, we have those that take this opinion and want to apply that to going to fight in in, in a war in, in in the army. They don't say that it's unnecessary to go fight in the army. I'm learning. My learning is, is, is sufficient. I don't need any protection. I don't need anybody to help. So he says it's not a it's not a similar need. It's not a similar case. Why not? He says like this. Why do you need the strength the strength of the wall in the case of the taxes and blah blah blah? So that's the suffix. Maybe there's going to be enemies that come. Maybe there won't be enemies that come. So you want to have a taxes to build up your defenses, build up a rampart, the walls, in order to ensure. 
that should the enemy come, you'll be saved. So how are you going to compare the situation to a situation where you have an enemy that is literally coming? You can't compare a subject to a vanai. So he says that you can't learn out from this Basra, that Nusa. So therefore, you don't um mund the Rabbanon, you don't mund the Tanun Chafamim for help when it comes to protecting in a situation of Ados. When it's a situation of Ados, when it's 100% clear that there is a danger, then of course you would go after the Rabbanon that they should provide help and security. And whether it means taxes in terms of, of money, in the case of the Mabba or taxes in the form of putting in people to be able to go fight in the war. That, that's the basic idea that that um, Rabbi says, he says like this, We have enemies that are all around us. They're always shooting at us, aiming at us. It's 100% clear this is Muhammad Smith, and it's 100% clear that even a Talmud Chacham has to go to fight. Um, of course, this conclusion is not accepted in many parts of the uh, Torah world. I'm not getting into that debate right now. I just, you know, was pointing out that I'm sure I would find I have never really had a chance to open up the saver, but I thought there was going to be something that I would want to say. Okay, moving on. What I wanted to go to now um, is a Gemara. Is a Gemara in Nida, which we'll start with there, I think. Yeah. Um, Marshall like this. The Gemara has a, the Gemara gives a story that that the Anshe Alexandria, they came to Rabbi Kanania and they, they were bugging him with questions. They asked him 12 different questions. They asked him questions on Haggadah, Haggadah, they asked him questions on Eretz, they asked him questions on Allah, they asked him questions on, um, what is Divri Bairat, stupidity. They asked him 12 different questions. We're going to go through only the questions on the Eretz, only, only three other questions. The Gemara says like this. The Gemara says, there were three different questions on Says the Gemara, How should a person become wise? How should a person become smart? Says the Gemara, A person should what? Um, learn a lot. He should stay in Yeshiva a lot. And he should do little amount of work. You want to know how to become a big Tamakacham? Do a lot of learning and a little bit of work. Seems obvious enough, yes? Okay. So Amru, so Anshay Alexander said back to Yeshua, Haber also right? That Haber also came, that should sound familiar, right? Haber also like a vine, right? So Haber also, many people did this. Many people were married with Yeshiva and you were married with Sfira, and it didn't work out for them. They didn't become big rabbis, they didn't become learned people. But what does he say back to them? You should daven. Daven for mercy, that you should be able to become a Tamakach. That is first story, the first question of the Akharat. And again, the Mark concludes, the Mark says, This is a, an example, like a, a marshal of a Melech. He has a big meal prepared. And he gives that to the ones that he loves. From what's before him. In other words, the same way has the wisdom, as it were, by whatever that means, he gives it out to those that are close to him, to those that are davening. 
surprisingly more Maikamashlam. What's this big vart that Shimachan is telling him? What do you they asked him how to become a big Kamakashlam, right? They said to him, How did the person become wise? They said to them, Oh, they said, Well, it doesn't work. Oh, Hashem's gonna do it. So the Marsh says, what's the big vart that he's telling them? What's the big kiddush? Says the Gemara, the ha belayha loisag, that with one without the other is not sufficient. One without the other is not sufficient, which means what? It means that you need to be marvishivi marvishvera, right? You need to uh, spend more time studying, less time working, and you need to dab. One without the other doesn't work. That's part number one. Part number two. Says the Gemara, how should a person become wealthy? Second question the Gemara asked the, the Anshay Alexandria asked Rabbi Shubh Machanan, how does the person become wealthy? Omar Lahen, he answered them, he should do more work. Doesn't say be mad in the Shiva, doesn't say don't learn. It says do more work, right? And what be honest in your in your work. Be a, be, a, be somebody who's who's an honest person in business. Many people have done this and it hasn't worked out for them. They've been very, you know, very uh, uh, working hard. They've been very honest, and they have not had success. They've not become wealthy. So the Gemara. All right, that is to say, again, the same idea you have to have, you want to become wealthy, you have to work hard, you have to be honest, and you have to dab. Good. Second Gemara. Third Gemara is not related to this, but it's, it's unbelievably fascinating. It shows you the sensitivity of Chazal, and even though it's entirely tangential to our topic, I'm doing it anyways. Sigmar says, how do you have male children? How do you have male children? And again, we all know this because we see it in the Russian Empire. You see it a few different places, right? I'm not saying the science here. Forget the science, it's not relevant. That's not my point. Marry an appropriate woman. You marry an appropriate woman and act appropriately. Many people have done this. Many people married appropriate women, and many people were Makash Atma Bishas Tashmish, and it didn't work out. They didn't have male children. Says the Gemara, You should have him. Because one without the other doesn't work. That is, if you just uh, are going to marry a woman who's inappropriate for you and just daven a lot, it doesn't work. If you're just going to be Mikash Tashmish and, and you're not going to daven, doesn't work. You got to have all these aspects. You got to marry the appropriate kind of a woman. You have to Mikash Tashmish and you have to daven. The Gemara now says, My schar priyabat, and what does it mean? The Pasik says that Hashem is giving it the schar priyabat and the, the fruit of the womb. You know what the scar is? Because remember, in the, in the thought process of the rabbis, which is based upon a science which may not be relevant today, it's not important, that's not the point. The way they understood it was that you have to make sure that the isha, and that was the way you're going to have a male child, that became 
fundamentals to understanding what does it mean, which means to ensure that you get button. How do you get it? By making sure you're being attentive to your spouse's needs. That is to say, you marry Isha Genefah, and you daven. Then you get the Skar Priyabhad. What is the Skar Priyabhad? The Skar Priyabhad is ensuring that the wife is Mithnarath. That is the third aspect um, of the three questions that are characters they ask. All right. So when we see this Gemara in Nidam, when we're focusing on the, the first, uh, the, you know, the second of the three questions, the question was, how do you become wealthy? And Gemara said, those are the three ways you do it. Says the Ksav Seifer. The Ksav Seifer, he said this in a few places. This is a very big, uh, very big topic for the Ksav Seifer. That, that seems pretty clear. He literally repeats it many times. So this is what he said. Because what does it mean when the Gemara says the humble how looks back? That doesn't work one without the other. You just daven, don't expect to become wealthy. You just work really hard and very honest, but you don't daven, don't expect to be wealthy. Because it means like this: Don't rely on miracles. Loimar to say to yourself, Maybe you want to take the approach that says, look. I'm going to work. Why? I'm going to sit and learn all day. I'm going to daven all the time. I don't have to work. Hashem, He decides everything. I'm going to sit around. Akash Baruch will take care of it. Because that doesn't work. You're not allowed to rely on Nisim. Hashem is going to bless you. Whatever it is that you do, you should go and do normative things, whatever normatively would be required. And you should wait, you should pray, you should daven for Hashem to help you. That's what Chazal said when the Gemara told us, we talked about this Mishnah, that you know, one of them on the armor, not in the end, you know, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Naroy, the Gemara says that Mishnah tells us that. You should teach your child an umnes nekia vikala, teach him an easy profession. And you should daven and he should be able to have a, a good livelihood. Before I explain what he's saying over here, I just want to, again, as I said in the beginning, that I, I used to say, there were two parts I found in this class server. Both of which I have always said without knowing that the staff cipher says it. And that's why I'm very excited today. So, the first part, and we didn't discuss this, and we will potentially come up to it later, is the Pusik in Paris Egev. Pusik tells us that the, the Jewish people are warned by Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu says to them, Listen, you're going to be very successful. You come to the land of Israel, you're very successful. And what's the possibility if you become very successful? You might forget God. You might think that. Kudos go to me. I'm a big knocker. I'm very good. And that's why we have all the success. The measurement says to no. Right? You're going to say, You're going to say, It's my kayak. Right? It's my efforts that have two dice. This is part of incredible success. You're going to say that. You should remember, Zacharta, 
remember that he's the one. What does that mean? If you look at the Pesukim just as a matter of Pashup Shan, you're going to say, You're going to say that what? It's my strength, it's my power, it's my kinetic energy that has gotten us to this place. Says my friend, no, 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 that's not okay. Vizacharta, and you should remember. What should you remember? Kihu hanoistein lechaz koyach la'atayisvayo. What is the pasuk giving credit to you for, or Hakadosh Baruch Hu for? You hear the words? You should remember that Hakadosh Baruch Hu is the one who's giving you koyach la'atayisvayo. Who's doing the koyach? Who's doing the koyach? You are, not Hakadosh Baruch Hu. He's giving you the koyach. He's giving you the potential energy. You're turning it into kinetic energy. You're doing the chayil. He's giving you the, the energy. The, it, how do you get up in the morning and think to yourself, I just did a great deal. I'm so amazing. You have a brain. Where did your brain come from? How does your brain work? How's the blood pumping? How do you not have a heart attack? Well, this is a But who actually went out and, and did that trade? Yeah, you did a trip. Who gave you all the thoughts? If you think that it's you and not a Kodesh Baruch then you totally missed the boat. He's the one who gave you all the potential for that eventual decision that was made. That, that one second decision had a lifetime of being built up. And that's all Akadosh Baruch gave it to you. That, I think, is Pashup Shah on the Pasuk. And I've always felt this way. It says the Ksav Seifer. He's not calling it out, but it's 100% of what he's saying. And that's what it means. He's giving you the strength in order to do Chayot. It doesn't say that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving you Chayil. He's coming at it from the opposite perspective. He's talking about somebody who's saying, I see Yeshiv Bakl. He doesn't have to do anything. HaKadosh Baruch Hu does everything. I can sit around and I can just learn. I can, die, I can do whatever. Hashem takes care of it. Hashem fears the belt. I have to do nothing. That's what he's coming in. So he's saying, don't think that when a Pazik says you, that Vizokhati should remember Last is called that he's the one who's doing the chayil. He's not doing the chayil. He's not giving you the chayil. He's only giving you kayak. You have to do the chayil. You want to have success? You better do the chayil. If you're not an anshechai, you're not going to have success. If you're just relying on the emesh, it's not going to work. If he only gives kayak, you must do the chayil. He's coming out from the opposite way, but you hear exactly how this vart stems very much with mine. In another place, the um, the uh, the Ksav Sefer says again, like this. It says that um, where is it? Yeah, he doesn't quote it here, but on the Vort of Chachma, it says something that I think is very beautiful. I think I, I must have read this, but it sounds like to me I heard it from somebody. It's not my own. I don't remember who said. It. I think a lot of people say it. I think it's a Velt Vort. It says like this. Remember the Gemara, the first Gemara, the Gemara says, how should a person become wise? How should a person become wise? The Gemara said, you should marry a yeshiva. The Gemara says, you know, the Gemara says, okay, you should do tefillah. So tefillah and the Gemara of yeshiva, the Gemara all together, that works to become a Tamsam. So he says like this. This is except safer again. Kain la'ilam acher after a person puts in all the work, he should have the approach, he should think of it as if he found it. He should think like he just found the lost object. Like, wow, 
that he didn't work hard and just wow, he was so lucky that he found it. So to over here, any amount of work that you put into anything doesn't work for nothing. Hashem doesn't give you it. You will do all the work in the world and it will do nothing. Hashem is the one lining up your eyes in a second to have. Therefore, it says, You should always think of it as though it's a not because of you. That is, you remember the Gemara in, in, in Megillah, the Gemara tells us, right? You got to Matasi, Thomas. Ever wonder why they mean you got to Matasi is a weird language in the Gemara. Yogati, I worked so hard in Matasi and I found it. You didn't find it. You worked so hard and you understood it. Yogati Vehevanti, Yogati Vulimanti. What do you mean Yogati Matasi? So many of them are partial. I don't know who specifically right now, but the Vel says, Yogati Matasi, that's the appropriate approach to understand that yes, you work like an animal, you put in all that effort, but at the end of the day, you found it. It's like a Messiah that you no, no one's going to think like, oh my God, I won the lottery. Although I did read once about a guy who managed to manipulate lotteries. He's such an expert. I don't know how you do it, but such an expert in manipulating a lottery, they banned him from the lottery. What wasn't, I think, one of the big ones. But it was a small lottery. He had to somehow figure out a way how to do the numbers. I don't know. You have to be a big expert in math. But but um, but this but but a, but a regular person should would never take credit for a lottery. He went to take it. He's not going to think, oh, I'm amazing. There's a lottery. Everyone knows the luck, right? I mean, don't tell people in the casino they think they're the big experts. But but the reality is, everyone knows random things happen. But says the Ktaf Sefer, don't take no credit for anything. At the end of the day, it's all Akharish book. And this is a good segue, right? Because what we're saying is what? You're putting in all the effort. That's what you're required to do. You're hired to put in all the effort. But just putting in all the effort is not sufficient to get the result. The result comes because Akharish Baruch wants it. Akash Baruch is not giving you without any of the work. But it doesn't mean that just because you worked, you got it. You only got it because Hashem wanted to give it to you. That's why it's still a Messiah. Don't ever take credit just because you put in all the effort and then you found that's your Gati Umatasi. Yes, you're required to put in all the effort, but your effort doesn't lead ineluctably to the result. Your effort just is the necessary minimum in order to be able to unlock the good that Hashem already wanted to give you. There's a very, very big difference in living in living your life this way. Fundamentally different way of understanding your life. If you are grateful to God that oh my gosh, I got a I got a good deal. And you say, Wow, it's all Hashem. This goes back to our medrash that we talked about the different kings, and that's what we're gonna go to in one second. How do you understand doing that? How do you understand yourself in one sense? You, if it's all from there's a there's a very massive tangential point here that's not for ours right now, but with the one a one liner which will not really convey everything, but the one liner is is that fundamentally the Jewish philosophical approach to this world. Is that as real as this world is, when you get to the upper and the most levels, as you understand, it's a game. It's a game that you are playing with God. Each and every one of us individually, we have our own game with the Kaddish Baruch. We have to put in all the motions and we have to act 
and sweat and work like an animal. But not for a second forget that it's just a game. He wants you to play this game. Because the only way this game really works is if you have to go seek him. This is on the deepest level of what Yerushim is trying to tell you. He's hiding. Your job is to find him. If you don't find him, if you effectively say, I'm not working at all, you're effectively making him come out of the shadows because everything has to then be a miracle. There is no free choice. There is no ability to live a life that is going to seek HaKadosh Baruch because you're forcing him out into the open. What we're talking about is letting HaKadosh Baruch game be played on his terms. He wants the world to exist with free choice. He wants himself to live shrouded in the mystic shadows. That's the game he wants to play. That's the way he wants the world to run. He wants the world to find him. This is man's job. This is humanity's job. It's been around for thousands of years. We haven't been successful. Living on such a level, you'll feel the most good. Because if you're able to do all that work and still recognize it's all HaKadosh Baruch you're living in the middle of the game on the highest level. But I don't want to get more into it right now. To get the, the levels of, of sort of mystic ideas that, that are in there, but that's really, I, I think, I think where you were going probably. Okay. So his Xavier Xavier says like this. Again, another another place where he talks about this Maranida. He says like this. So the person, how should he become wealthy? He should be Marbabara. He should be Sabitimbamina. And he should have says the Xavier. Why do you have to work? Again, the same thing that he said in another place, in another drasha. You're not able to rely on an ape. Why? Maybe a person's going to say, look, everything's in the hands of heaven. I just sit around and I won't do anything. No. You have to do stuff. You can't just sit and wait for the Yeshua of Hashem. And this is what, again, that Gemara institution, he quotes the whole thing again. Same idea. Which leads us now to the final stuff there which I thought was, uh, um, for me, very very gratifying because it says the same idea. He says, well, Haskir Adam to remind a person of this, the Torah requires you when you come to eat bread, let's say, when you come to Amish to sit down and eat a meal, you have to say, right, you have to make a broth, etc. Why do you have to do this? Because a person lives with eating, a person cannot sustain himself without without food. And you have to thank Hashem that He's the one who gave you all this food. Now listen to this word. He's not quoting that 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 magic, but this is 100% the magic, right? He says like this. Somebody who was able to sustain himself without any working. Very easy life. He doesn't have to work hard. He just gets parnasa, right? Every day they're knocking the door. Bob is giving him a thousand dollars. No, he doesn't have to do any work whatsoever. Every day the door opens and he has a letter, a thousand dollars. Be a nice life, right? Imagine every day you don't have to leave the house. You just open the door and you're done, right? Pretty good, right? You might say, no, no, it's not good enough. The door should be always be a thousand dollars plus the food, plus you know, uh, you know, the newspaper. I don't have to literally do anything. Right? I mean, like that's the highest level of the man in the midbar, right? Right. The, the people who are on the not such a high level had to go out of the tent, they had to walk to the middle of the camp. The, the highest level, they didn't have to go anywhere. They, the tent opened and everything's there, right? It's all Uber Eats all the time, right? It's all perfectly delivered. Okay. 
says the Ksav Sefer, Harbor Shluchim and Lachan Parnasa, and Hashem has many ways to make sure a person has Parnasa. The Kol Shikain, Kishayet Minimus Hateva, when somebody leaves the Derech Hateva, when somebody leaves normative life, and he just gets the Parnasa at his door every day, doesn't have to do a thing. There's no chiddush in such a person recognizing the Eversham. There's nothing that would be challenging for such a person to recognize, of course, it's God's bounty. But even somebody who is not like that, he doesn't get the food out of his door. He has to go out, he has to travel, and he has to work long hours, and he has to sweat by the brow. Such a person who doesn't have the parnasa anywhere near his easy reach, he also has to bless Hashem. You don't just say the person who has to bench and say thank you, Hashem, for everything is the person who gets it easy. No. The person who has to, to work super hard to get everything, he also has to thank Hashem for everything. It's all coming from him. The He has to understand that deep in his heart that everything is everything comes from God and not from himself. That's where the real challenge is. In other words, that's exactly what we were saying from that Medrash, Rabbah, and Eitha, right? Unlike the Arachayim. Who's the biggest challenge to recognize God? Kuskiel is not a challenge. Obviously, obviously it's all God. If you're sleeping in bed, you didn't do a thing, and the wars are being won for you, you're not going to thank Hashem. You're not going to be, of course you will. But if you go out and you fight, and you work hard, and you make plans for the enemy, and how are you going to take care and you still, after that battle and after that success and after that victory, you think, thank you, Hashem, it's not me. That's a level of really apprehending that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one who gives everything. He wants to play a game. He wants us to be able to act in this world and work, work, work. We have to do that. That's our job. But we can never forget that it's all at the end of the day. Okay, so that safer um, I think very much relates um, to what we discussed last week in relation to this message. I just wanted to mention a Sam safer his father. Sam safer says like this. Sam safer says on this Gemara about wisdom and it applies to all of them. He says like this. He says why the Gemara says what does a person need to do in order to become wise? He has to be married Shiva and even my episode, and he has to die. It says the Chassam Sefer, Shekol hadvarim tzvichin esoros delamata, va'acharkach ezer me'ashem. Everybody has to do, and this has become very popularized in Chabad. In the Chabad um, the, uh, sort of a, a philosophy, there's the Sarusa delamata, Sarusa delaila, there's the Sarusa delatata. There's a Sarus that comes from the top and a Sarus that comes from the bottom. This become very big in, in the land and in, in, in the early Zionist thinking that we had to, if you recall, we discussed some of that then, that we had to show our desire for our for Eretz and then Akkadosh Baruch gave it back. So says the Chassam Sefer, if you want to have success in anything, you first have to do the bare minimum. You have to do the modicum. You have to show the desire. You first have to start the, at, and, and, and show the energy, the desire, the willingness, and then Hashem will be helping you. And therefore, 
So he says about this Gemara that therefore you're required to marry Yeshiva in the case of Chachma. You're required to marry Rizpera in the case of business. You have to marry Yeshiva again. So you, have to, you have to do each thing. You have to, you have to show your willingness. You have to show your desire. And then Hashem will respond. Right? And this is, becomes the big debate. And the Zionists, actually, we discussed this, right? That we say, Hashem, we say, Hashem, you come back to us. We want to see a Sarus You messed us up 2,000 years in this bitter ghost. We want a Sarus You show us some niceness. And Nakodesh Baruch says, No, Shuva Elai, no Shuva Aleichem. You first come back to me. I want to see something from your end. And so, therefore, the, the, this has been a fundamental debate between those who said we can go back to the land of Israel and those who said we cannot. Do you wait for Akadosh Baruch or do you start on your own? Okay, that was a Sam Sever. Um, we have a Gemara, we have a couple of minutes left, so a um, couple of things. One is, is we have a Gemara in Beitz, everyone knows the Gemara. The Gemara in Beitz says, All the amount of um, earnings a person is going to have in a year is, is the side of Rosh Kippur. Except what you spend on Shabbos, Yantif, and on Yeshiva for your kids. If you don't really spend a lot on that stuff, then you will be diminished. If you're going to be uh, doing a lot for that, for Yeshiva, for the covered Shabbos, Yantif, then you will get more. Says Rashi, what does it mean? The amount that a person is going to earn is set. Whatever is going to make an earning in that year is already the Sarah Shana. You don't have to work harder in order to be able to get more earnings. It's not going to happen. Whatever you made on Rosh Hashanah, whatever, I'm sorry, was the sign of Rosh Hashanah, you will make. How does this go with the Gemara? Nida, that we just discussed. The Gemara Nida is telling us what? It's telling us that What do you mean? What a person is going to make is already it's already decided. There's nothing to do extra work. You hear the question? So, Marsha is bothered, I think, by this question. And the Masha says like this. This is Masha Anita. The Masha says, he doesn't quote this Gemara in Beitza, but I, it's clear to me that that's what he's bothered by. He says like this. We agree that the Gemara in Beitza is the bare minimum. That is, there is a decision made at the beginning of the year what a person is going to make. That decision is decided. When the Gemara is telling you, my awesome Sasha says to Marsha, that is to change the Gezerah. But for sure, the beer or, or whatever was decided is decided. That Gemara is not disagreeing. It's not like a fundamental difference. This Gemara is saying, okay, there is a Gezerah, but how do you change that Gezerah? Like we saw, the Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah, the Gemara says, what is a person going to do if Hashem decided the amount of rain? That you can't change that decision in the amount of rain of the year. So what is if somebody becomes a, a, a better person? A town becomes a more worthy town. So what does the Gemara say? Hashem's going to bring the rain at the right time in the right places with the right amount. What is if a person became or a town became bad? So Hashem's decided how much rain they're going to get. So if they became bad, Hashem's going to bring the rain in the wrong time, in the wrong place, and you know the wrong amounts. So that's what this Marsha is going on. Is saying 
not that, oh, like, okay, I'm going to become wealthy, so therefore, like, you know, if I work hard and I die, no. There is a gazera that was ready to decide it. But you could change the gazera by becoming a better person. Same idea as Nakamura Shisham. That's what the Marsha said. I'm going to conclude with this, because this is a good way to conclude. You know, there's a gears in the grub. I think more needed, you look there, you'll see. Gemara the, the told us, how should a person become wealthy? What was the Gemara? Gemara said, don't say it says, and the Gemara is nimcha, he erases from the Gemara, so Gemara says, how should a person become wealthy? And the Gemara's answer, according to the way the Gemara is learning, do business honestly and daven. No being marba b'sfera. Being marba b'sfera is not going to make you misasha. Why did the Gemara do this? He doesn't say. But if you look, you'll see that there are um, the old manuscripts of the Gemara, they all have yarba b'sfera. So it's for sure 100% that the, the 10 different manuscripts of the Talmud that we have from the 1300s to 1200s, they all have Yarusara. However, if you look at, let's say, at the Rashbam Basra, Rashbam Basra, that says, Mayasan Visasher, Yisavidin Memuna. Or Kishokhan Rachman brings out the Gemara, he says, Mayasan Visasher, Yisavidin Memuna. Maybe there's other gifts we don't know. We don't have those variants. Not clear. But next week, we'll maybe discuss a little bit more about the other approach. Um, in relation to the, the growth. All right, Shkaf. Sure.